Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Stockman. Maybe like many of you, growing up, our family vacations were centered around going to baseball stadiums. We went to Ohio on vacation in the summer of 2018. And fittingly, we watched the Reds play on the 4th of July at Great American Ballpark. And prior to that game, we went to the Reds Hall of Fame and Museum, which is an expansive look at the rich history of the Cincinnati Reds. I met today's guest at the 2019 International Sports Heritage Association Conference, where I first learned about the sports heritage industry. Sherry Rowland is the membership manager at the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame and Museum, and today we'll have an excellent conversation about engaging with Reds alumni, how the Hall of Fame educates kids, and the museum's robust membership program. For this episode's overtime segment, I'll be talking about the career of Reds left-handed pitcher and Hall of Famer Tom Browning, who Sherry shares a great story about in this episode. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Today on Hallowed Ground, I'm talking to Sherry Rowland, membership manager at the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame and Museum. Sherry, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm actually really happy we're in Ohio and I'm outside because it's a beautiful day. I mean, it may rain a little bit, but in Ohio and it's October, it's beautiful. I know, it's perfect here in uh, Kansas City as well. It's great weather and it's playoff baseball time. And so I thought I would talk to a baseball museum. Sherry and I met in October of 2019. We were just talking about it before we started recording at the International Sports Heritage Association Conference in Wichita and um, connected there and excited to have you on the podcast. Sherry, thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me. You're welcome. I figured we could get into your background, which I think is kind of unique because you were in the radio business for a while and then moved over to the museum side, right? How did that process kind of work? I actually kind of fell into radio because my degree is theater hmm. and I was in grad school and I met some radio folk and I just started hanging out with them and started doing some promotions with them part-time while I was in grad school and I loved it. So, you know, different type of theater, theater of the mind. And I was a um, promotion director and event manager, coordinator, all this stuff for four talk shows stations. And uh, half of my job was sports. So I've, I've worked with broadcasts with um, the Bengals and the Reds and every sports entity in town. You know, you see, which by the way, their football team is awesome this year. Basketball, Xavier basketball. I've worked with all of the colleges around town in sports because that was, you know, our radio business and they were our partners. And Red's opening day was always my favorite day of the year. You know, I love baseball and, you know, I'm from Cleveland originally and I am an Indians Browns fan, but the Reds were always my National League team. My dad always taught me root for the Ohio teams. So I knew about the big red machine and of course, Johnny Bench and, and Pete Rose and all those folks. So Every year I look forward to opening day. It's just that excitement, that newness, that looking forward to what is coming. You know, it's all beginning right now. And in radio, I had broadcasts all over town and opening day in Cincinnati is like no other. The city shuts down, sea of red, and there's a parade. And, and of course, the pandemic kind of ruined a lot of that, right. but it's coming back. And uh, now that baseball is back this year, and it's just almost there, not quite because of COVID, but we're getting back to the way it was before. And, and when I left radio and I was kind of waiting for, you know, what is available and, and 
what would I enjoy doing? And because I love history so much, when this position came available a number of years ago, a friend of mine who worked for the Reds, still does at this time, she said, you've got to go over there. This is, this is it. This is your position. So I did. And here I am almost seven years later. Awesome. Yeah. Congrats on almost seven years. That's, that's cool to be part of the Reds organization and they have such a rich history. And you kind of talked about that with the opening day and are they still the first opening day game every year? I know that was tradition. Well, they started putting a game, I believe the evening before now. Yeah, that's and it right. kind of sucks for Cincinnati. It's not, we don't like that here. That's just not fair. But that being said, we're still the best and the biggest. So, right. Yeah, and the Reds have been around since 1876 and the Red Stockings. And well, 1869. That's right. Yes, that's so, right. I need yes. to get my dates right. Yeah, well, they went away and came back. But 1869 okay. is the year. I call them the other Wright brothers, George and Harry Wright. Correct. They were the best players of their time. And they decided to pay their players. That was unheard of before. Baseball were clubs you know all over and at the time there was also cricket so you had cricket and you had baseball and there were folks in the united states harry and george leading this up that wanted baseball to be the the sport of the united states so they pulled in all of the best players of the time they paid them before that when you know just like if you're in a volleyball club or you know around town it's a hobby so that's what it was before then so then they barnstormed the country, just like Globetrotters did a little later, and they won every game as well they should because they're being paid to play and practice, and that's all they did. So they barnstormed the country, and they're considered the first professional team because they were the first team that paid players. Now, there was a little bit under the table before that. We, I, you know, we can't talk about that, but <laughs> that's that history. Right. I know. And back in those days, it was just a, so different in a lot of ways with a lot of gambling ties and like things Absolutely. with some of those shady dealings. But like it was still 90 feet between bases and, and some of the um, even the rules were a little bit different, like pitching underhand and stuff like that. But I think that rich history really kind of ties into the Reds today. And you guys are very focused on that rich history, as you well should be, because it's like the oldest um, professional baseball franchise in the country and just having that rich history, what does that kind of mean to the Reds organization? Well, the Reds, obviously, we are our biggest partners. We are nonprofit. We are a nonprofit part arm of the Reds. We have another nonprofit entity called the Reds Community Fund, and they're the, the group that goes out and, and builds baseball fields in the community and takes our alumni and our players out there. We bring people in and show them the history and enjoy the history. So the Reds, we wouldn't be here without the Reds and without a community that is so passionate about their sports. And obviously Reds being, you know, what, what we do. We renovated our museum in 2019 and it was a $5 million renovation and it was all privately funded. People forget that we are nonprofit, so it really makes it even more special because it's because of the businesses and the folks of Cincinnati who are so passionate about the Reds and about the history. And they love to see these alumni players come back and meet them and shake their hands and get their autographs and their pictures. But 
you know, like I said, I'm from Cleveland and I understand that passion. You know, I understand the passion of your sports entity and being proud of your city. And um, Cincinnati, it's another level of passionate fans. Yeah. And that extends to the museum too. And you kind of manage the membership program. And I wanted to talk about that too. I think you're the first like membership specific professional I've talked to. So um, I was looking at the website last night doing some research and there's all sorts of um, options and kind of add-ons with the memberships. And I think those are very special, especially if those passionate fans want to support the Reds Hall of Fame. So are those programs newer or have they always been in existence? And just kind of talk more about those. Well, they've kind of evolved over the years. Sure. The fans are collectors. So knowing that and knowing that, you know, talk about passion, people who collect bobbleheads and, and different items, people are fighting, kicking and screaming, going into the digital world because of tickets, because people collect the hard ticket and then they'll get a, maybe an autograph from somebody who played in that particular game, something like that. But we just decided that because we know that our fans are like that, it just kind of enhances the membership and makes it more special. So we know that the Reds, and we work in conjunction with them, they have, every stadium has their regular stadium giveaways. And it's, I mean, obviously, always, it usually has something to do with your current players, which is wonderful. But being the Hall of Fame, we have our own series every year. And our goal is to eventually have a bobblehead for every Hall of Famer that we have. And we've, and we've, we've done a lot of Johnny Bench bobbleheads. So that's on the table for later, should we revisit that. But we've got so many great players that have come through Cincinnati that's in Cooperstown and as well as our museum. So, and with our rich history, we feel that, you know, we are a history museum. So we want to teach some of the fans about the history Sometimes I'm lucky to meet some older folks that have been to Crosley Field, which is a few miles from here east. That's where Pete Rose and Johnny Bench started their careers. And uh, we have a model of it. We have a walking tour of Crosley Field where, you know, what's going on there now. But anything that we can do, we're always thinking every year, what can we do to enhance the membership so that our collectors and our fans and our members just enjoy the membership even more. So there's a lot that goes into our membership and a lot of thought goes into the membership. And right now being October of 2021, where we are obviously planning next season's membership that starts soon. So um, what you're seeing on the website is still the 2021 season stuff. Next month, you'll you'll see the 2022 season and and what we've done to change it up a little bit and, and add to it. So no matter what level you are in the membership, you get just more and more and more, and more stuff to our upper level, um, which right now is $1,000 world champions. And then we start to actually add in experiences. So like you might get to go to a suite and we'll have an alumni hosting that suite and watch a game. You would get to take batting practice on the field and somebody like Mr. Perfect, Tom Browning will pitch to you. I mean, that's really cool. So we just, we start to get into more and more experiences then. And um, in the planning stages of 2022, we've got some really cool things up our sleeve that's going to change up some of the memberships a little bit. 
That's cool. You're preaching to the choir, Sherry, about the bobbleheads. I'm a bobblehead collector myself, yeah, so I'm right there with you. It's uh, it's fun to just see the different designs and different players and ways to honor them that way. And then another aside, I'll share. My dad has the same birthday as Tom Browning, and so growing up, right. he was like, and he the perfect game was like right when my dad was probably my age and had just that experience with the Reds. So. He grew up a Royals fan, but yeah, Mr. Perfect. He is one cool dude. He is so cool. So let me tell you on a side note, a story about Tom, because I've heard his stories. I never get tired of listening to these guys' stories. Oh, yeah. That baseball, I don't think he'd kill me for telling you this because he tells it when he goes out. The baseball from the perfect game. Okay, so he lives in Kentucky. He does still live locally. When his kids were growing up, and his boys are probably about your age, he had a baseball on the mantle, okay? And he would tell them, do not play with the baseballs if they're in a queue. Okay, fair enough. Well, not long after the game, he had the baseball on the mantle and hadn't put it in a queue. And the boys found the ball, went outside, played with it. And to this day, it's somewhere in the woods of Northern Kentucky. It's like the plot of the movie, The Sandlot, right so there. So if you, exactly. So, um, if you're walking around down there in Union, Kentucky, somewhere in the woods, you might find a baseball. It's been sitting there for the last 20 years or so. <laughs> that's awesome. But that's, that's the cool thing about this job. I, I just love listening to these guys and, and hearing Tom talk about what was he feeling as it was going along? When did he realize what was happening? When did the team realize what was happening? It was a day that was pouring down rain all day and it was a long rain delay and it's so funny because all these people will tell you oh I was at that game I was at that game well there was only a few thousand people at that game by the time you got to that late at night because there was such a long rain delay and it's funny because he didn't get anything extra there was no bonus for him after he you know made that historical moment but Marge Schott, who was the owner of the, t- the team at the time, gave his wife a full length mink coat. I huh. guess it's because she, you know, she was the, you know, the backbone of that family and uh, still is. So it's just really funny. Tom always talks about how he got nothing, but she did. <laughs> it's really interesting that uh, the alumni are so active in the Reds community and the Reds Hall of Fame. What benefit does that add to the Hall of Fame and Museum with that alumni connection? Yeah, it's pretty special. I think with the team that we have here at the Reds Hall of Fame, our staff is very special and very caring and, and cares about what we're doing. And, and our mission is to share the legacy and, and the history. And over the years since I've been here, these guys talk. So when we bring somebody in, they're special to us and their history is special to us. So, you know, you treat them as such because they're honored members of the Cincinnati community. And we do have a lot of former alumni, well, current alumni, former players that live in the Cincinnati area. But we also will often bring in alumni from all over the country and they may have left in weird circumstances Quite often, a lot of the folks that were here when they were here are gone, and they have learned that we are here to educate people about 
the legacy of the Reds and their legacy and honor it and protect it. And they know that now. And it's taken a few years to build that trust up with them. And then they talk to each other. Well, so-and-so is here. When are you going to call me? I have chapters all over Reds country. Okay. So we do events pre-COVID. And then once we get past COVID, we will go to Indianapolis, Louisville, Lexington. We'll go down the Ohio River, Portsmouth, Ironton. And we actually, we go to where we have pockets of members and we'll do events. And I had Jim Maloney, who was one of the best pitchers that the Reds had. And he was in the 60s when he pitched. And I, he flew in from Fresno, took him down to Lexington for a chapter event. And I'll never forget, it was at a hotel. It was huge. We had this dinner and he was just giving us stories of Crosley Field and that time in the history. And we had an event later, a few months later, and Jack Billingham, who they're friends, he lives in Florida, and uh, one of uh, another great pitcher, but in the 60s and into the 70s. And he came up to me, and he's a very big man, and he's like, when are you going to have me go to a chapter? And I get that a lot now. It's awesome. Because before, they're like, oh, I don't know. They didn't know what it was about, how many people are going to show up, what's it? You know, and it is a more intimate setting because we have like, it could be anywhere from 25 to 100 people at one of these events, depending on where we go and, and who we take. And uh, you really, at these events, really get to know these guys and, and get to ask the, the serious questions of what you've been thinking about. So a lot of it goes back to, and, and your original question is, it's trust. And it's, they know we're nonprofit. And they know our mission here now. They get it. They understand it and support it as well. So that's been great. Yeah. And with the support from the community and from the Reds, I wanted to ask too about like the the creation of the Reds Hall of Fame because they have that rich history. And I believe it opened in 2004. Is that like that? Because that's when Great American Ballpark opened too, right? So was that all tied together? 2003, I think, is when Great American Ballpark opened. And as part of that contract with the county, a hall of fame was promised. So then they're like, okay, you're opening the stadium. Where's the hall of fame. So a year later, the hall of fame opened. Cool. But I mean, our hall of fame has been around for years. There was yeah. just like a lot of stadiums have now that I visit, you know, you might have that, that area on the outside with all the plaques. We had that for years and at riverfront, it actually moved around. They had the plaques on these, walls that with wheels and they would just roll it around and roll it out and and you know it's just like right now our here at the stadium they're getting ready to winterize so they take it inside but i gotta tell you it was the county and the business community i mean they're like hey this is in the contract we demanded this where is it and um i don't know if you remember john allen he was our general manager at the time he was key in getting it going and open and the Castellini family has been behind this museum 1,000%. I mean, they are very much a part of it. And the, their stamp is all over it. That's awesome. And it's it's a huge museum to um, go through. And I think that's the cool part of it is there's the rich history. And then I went through it myself with my family in the summer of 2018. And it's huge. It takes probably a couple hours to go through. And there's a lot of components to it. And I think you went through it before the renovation. It sounds like it. Yeah. If it was in 2019. Because it's bigger and better than you saw it. Okay. I can tell. I mean, it's a hundred percent 
because we, you know, with all the technology and that was one of the things, you know, technology was so important to us. Mm -hmm. So where you actually see the plaques, I mean, it's all totally different. It's a round room. It's surround sound. If you go to the website, you can see pictures, but we have kiosks in the middle and you can pull up, you know, your favorite Reds player that's in the Hall of Fame and you'll have a surround sound video above you and their plaque lights up behind in red and it's just like I I was lucky enough to be in there when a couple of our alumni saw it for the first time George Foster is a talker I mean that guy they said when he was a player he was very quiet he's a total opposite now and he's a jokester and he you know sometimes he'll say stuff and you look at him and go oh that was a joke I mean he he is very funny that was the first time I saw him quiet. I mean, he, and somewhere I've got a picture of him. He, it's overwhelming for these guys when they get in there and you get, you know, like a two minute historical information about their stats and what they did. And, and it's surround sound and it's just like booming and it's just really kind of moving. And then to be in there when one of those guys actually hear it and see it for the first time, it's, it's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. And those emotions are really what museums are all about, like tying those back to what happened before. And if, especially if you're that person that won an MVP award and won World Series like George Foster did, it's like that's just really yeah. special. So um, what are some other newer things that are part of the museum as part of the renovation? There's a lot of interactive things. So you can make a baseball card of yourself in our baseball exhibit and, um, you know, put hat on, put the, you know, the black under your eyes and email that to yourself. Um, you pick out your background and, and your, your position and everything. We've got a Valley sports desk that you can sit at and make a call and uh, email that to yourself. There's a monitor and everything. And, and the guys are on the screen and they, they throw it to you in the, in the studio and, and you get to be the guy making the call. We've got a radio booth. Same thing where you can make the call and email it to yourself. And then, of course, the interactive actual Hall of Fame. And then there are other kiosks throughout the museum where you can pull up a, a certain player. Some are current. Joey Votto's in there. Uh, Billy Hamilton is in there. Um, and then you can pull up George Foster or Johnny Bench or Pete Rose or somebody and you can pull up their name and they'll give you a two to three minute, you know, kind of tips on their position. And if you're interested in being a catcher, you know, Joe Oliver's in there too, and just some great players. And uh, they'll give you some tips on their position. So there's a lot of kiosks that do that. We have a whole historical timeline that takes up, you know, a good part of one side of our museum. So you can see from 1869 all the way to today where Joey Votto, you know, he had such a great year. So there's some stuff in there with him at the end of our timeline. Can't forget the Rosy Reds. They were a big supporter. They started in the in 1964, I think. And they're like, you know, official cheering team behind the Reds and an official group. I'm a Rosy Red. And uh, they started in 64 because I think that there was a fear for some reason that the Reds might go out of town, might move. And so the Rosie Reds band together all of these women and business. And then today we, we have men in the Rosie Reds. But so there's a very rich history of that group supporting the Reds starting at that time all the way through to today. And they travel and follow the team 
and do um, different events and they're a philanthropical group. They also uh, donated money to our museum. They donate money to the Reds Community Fund to help build the, uh, the different parks around the city and, and it's, it's Northern Kentucky, Indiana. I mean, this whole tri-state area are beautiful fields all over that um, thanks to the community fund and the community at large have these beautiful uh, ball fields. So they're not playing in sandlots. So yeah, so the museum, it's just amazing. We actually have at the very end of our museum the biggest television in the whole ballpark. So we're thinking about having some watch parties, watch the uh, World Series from there. We wish we were in it, but still, it's 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 like a, it's a this TV is a room size TV. It's awesome, and we have um, old film playing on that, you know, right now. Yeah, there's a lot of Reds history. Obviously, going back to the 30s and 40s, and Ernie Lombardi. I remember growing up learning about, and then nice. you get to the Big Red Machine. Yeah. And then that's probably like the most resonant part with folks. Is that correct? Like the age group of folks like in their 60s and 70s that remember the big red machine and they're walking through the museum with their kids and grandkids. Now, can you kind of talk about that family aspect of the reds? Because I think that's neat. It's so much fun to walk through the museum and you you see a dad with his kid and say, you know, like you're Tom Brownie, you know, I, you know, I saw this guy play. He was he pitched a perfect game. How many people in baseball history have done that? And to hear some some of these, you know, the grandparents who are talking about the big red machine. And and uh, when you went through the museum, we had the statues up on the third floor where you could actually stand in the middle of the big red machine and cheer with them. And those statues were actually taken from a photograph, I believe in 1975, of them celebrating. We've moved that down to the first floor so you can still do that. But when a lot of folks go back there that got to see the big red machine play, and then, you know, you just hear some of the conversations and, and you see a little kid with his little baseball hat and just really listening intently and listening to the stories of what it was like to see the play and, and just be part of that history. It's just, that's why we're here. You know, it's, I think it's really important today that, you know, baseball in general to get the young fans, because, you know, I grew up an Indians fan, and I remember as a child going to see the Indians play, and and that resonates with me, and, you know, and then my dad saying, hey, you know, the Reds are playing, that's who we're rooting for, and, and, you know, that's our team, and because my dad said so, that's it, so passing on that fandom is what is going to keep us going, and, you know, we need that, and it's just, it's just really sweet and fun to hear that actually happening and witness it. It's cool. Yeah, that's really neat. And I was one of those little kids growing up that would go with my dad and brother to Royals games here in Kansas City. Yeah. And that's how I love Absolutely. baseball. And then uh, passing that to my kids one day is definitely a goal of mine if I'm lucky enough to have kids and just be able to pass that on because that's how baseball and just sports in general will continue to resonate with the young generation. I wanted to ask too about any educational programs that the Reds Museum and Hall of Fame puts on, because I know there's a, a large space in the Hall of Fame and field trips, and there's even some virtual programs too, right? Absolutely. So right now we probably have a couple hundred kids in the museum, and it's that's kind of cool too. We have a wonderful education program that teaches math and science through baseball. I mean, when you think about 
a pitcher and 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 where is that ball going to go and the velocity and and you know is it is it windy is it you know where's the wind coming from where are you going to put it how you know pitchers just amaze me pitchers and catchers both catchers see the whole thing and pitchers have one job to do and that's get that baseball over the plate but how are they doing it and what's affecting it so we teach kids at the youngest level i mean and all the way through adults with our tours and so forth but with the education we even have a a reds on radio class where you can you know the class will come in and do their own radio show and get the understanding of how the broadcasters work and what they do and um so we all know that there's a lot of math and science, but you kind of forget about it when you're watching the game. You're just watching the game, what's happening, but you're not thinking about everything that's going through. So, um, and that a lot of that's on our website too. And of course, with the pandemic happening, we had to take a lot of it virtual. I mean, it's not the same thing when you're actually standing, you know, in, in the ballpark and you can see how far it is from, you know, the, the mound to the plate and, and that kind of thing. But kind of kept us sustained until now we're just starting to see the field trips starting up again. And, and hopefully over the next year, we'll get back to where we were pre-COVID because we would have up to in the course of a year, 18,000 people, kids, children coming through and they bring their little lunches. We have the fan zone out here, you know, they, they can sit and eat in the fan zone and have a little class in the, in the beginning of the day and have another one in the afternoon and then take off home. And, and there's a lot of urban schools that, you know, the kids, they may live 20 minutes from the Ohio river, but have never seen it. You know, it's right here and, and people forget about that. So we do have a wonderful educational program here at the Reds Hall of Fame as well. Yeah. And I'll definitely link to those, those pages on the website in the show notes for the episode. So people can check that out and Thank you. Um, some other things as well. And I wanted to ask about another type of people that come into the Reds Hall of Fame and that's opposing fans. Cause I've been opposing fans in other stadiums and in great American ballpark. And it's just an interesting experience because it's still baseball, but it's red specific. And what are some of the things that um, opposing fans say at the hall of fame? Yeah. It's funny because when somebody comes in from out of town, I mean, we especially go out of our way to be nice to them because one thing that the Castellinis feel and have started in their tenure here is we have a program called the Reds way and the Reds way is, and it's patterned after the Disney way of doing things. And it's, it's, it's not just the customer is always right, but the customer needs to have a good time. That's why we're here. You know, we're, we're entertainment. We're, ha- we're having a good time. We enjoy our history. Welcome. Welcome to Cincinnati. Welcome to our museum. We are very proud of this. This is our history and we love it. And so when people from out of town come in, that's what they're greeted with. And then they're, then they go through. They go through the first floor and they're like, is that it? I'm like, oh, you haven't even touched the surface. Go up to the third floor where you'll really be, you know, inundated with some beautiful things happening up there. And it's just really fun. And then they come back through and they're like, I wish we had this. It's funny because Cubs fans are the toughest here in Cincinnati, even more so than Cardinals. You know, those are our rivalries here. And um, okay. And Cubs fans are tough, but we've been known to break them down a little bit. Not yeah. that we really love Cubs fans that much, but 
um, you know, when they see what we're doing. But it's really fun to hear, I wish our team had that. I wish our team has this. And we've walked through some some folks from other teams and the Cardinals kind of do what we do on a smaller scale and they pattern after us. And I'm very proud of that. Call me and ask me what I'm doing. I'll be happy to tell you because we have the best fans and we have the best museum. Okay, here's what we're doing. If you can do it, that's great. Yeah, and share that with the other organizations, and it just helps baseball Absolutely. as a whole. And I think, yeah, yeah, that's awesome that you all want to share that with Cubs fans and Cardinals fans and just <laughs> folks from all over the place. So the Dodgers fans were so nice. They, I, they, I found them to be the nicest fans this summer. So it's kind of funny. We we do get to know a little bit of some of the folks that are visiting us. Yeah. So uh, that's fun. That is fun. I wanted to ask you a couple more things before we wrap up here. You mentioned the off season now that we're in October and kind of preparing for next year with the memberships. And I don't want you to spill any secrets or anything, but like what does the off season kind of look like and how does it compare to in season? Oh boy. People think that, Oh, you're no longer in the season. You can sit back and relax and eat bonbons and go have lunches. And I mean, I feel like sometimes I'm busier in the off season than I am in the in season because what happens right now is key if we don't get ourselves together here by the end of january it really shows when we get into the season and Mm -hmm. add to that a pandemic add to that shipping okay so you know that a lot of our items are shipped and they come from these ships off of the california coast onto a truck into here and now we have to look ahead I mean, it's six to eight months delivery for 5,000 bobbleheads or something. So, I mean, whereas before it, it wasn't even half that. So you have to be prepared, just add a pandemic onto that. So the pre-planning is key and not just the pre-planning. I still have events going on. We, we, um, we have a haunted theater for the kids for Halloween. We um, have a winter wonderland for the kids for Christmas. Um, I have chapter events. We're trying to get those up and started again now that COVID seems to be lightening up. So I'm hoping to get back out on the road to my, my cities where our chapters are. So, um, and it's constant keeping in touch with our alumni, see who's available, who wants to do this, at what cost would it be to us? So it, we are planning madly right now getting ready for the 2022 season. Yeah, I figured that would be the case. And that's probably the fun part too, is this is a lot of work and planning, but it's all baseball all the time. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah, I think I have one week out of the year where I really don't think about baseball. And it's just that week between Christmas and New Year's. That's it. Yeah. You know, so getting ready for it beforehand, I better have a lot of stuff ready and prepared and order brochures and membership cards and all this stuff. And then I come back and it's just like, okay, we got to finish everything up and, and, and get events planned. And are we going on the road? What are we doing? Spring training's coming. So yeah, it's, it's, it, believe it or not, it's a year round thing that we do here. Plus we have guests all year round. Um, right. Obviously the school tours, we're really hoping we'll, we'll get back up to par to where we were before. So there's always people in the museum always people in the museum so that's that's kind of fun too yeah and we have our Bengal neighbors right down the road just two blocks away Mm -hmm. from us so 
you know, support them as well. And we've got hockey next to us behind us and uh, all of the other sports entities in Cincinnati. And that's what's really neat. And that's where social media is kind of fun is how much each sports entity supports each other. It's really kind of cool too. Right. Yeah. I'll link to those social media pages in the show notes for the Reds Museum. I think it's awesome. They have like specific pages. My best friend is Lisa Braun and she heads up the Red social media and has since its inception. And she is the best in the sports business, the best. And she's put together a great team behind her, but there was a time where it was just her and she's the best in the business, her social media. And then um, my boss, Rick Walls, he's our, um, he's our executive director here at the hall of fame. He runs the Reds hall of fame, social media. So yeah, the support of, of everybody, it, it's, it's needed because obviously we, I mean, we haven't even, we're at the end and haven't even touched on social media and how important that is and, and keeping our young fans mm-hmm. as well and engaged. Yeah. That that's a big component as well. For sure. And I think it's awesome that the Reds museums has its own specific pages and, and, does like on this date, I was looking last night and there was some like just playoff specific things now that we're in October. And I think it's awesome that you're able to highlight those and, and share those with thousands of people and just have people engage that way, especially the younger um, generation as well. So yeah. Thank you again for your time, Sherry. I want to ask you one more thing. Where can we find the Reds hall of fame and museum? Super easy. All you have to do, you can Google Reds museum. We are at redsmuseum.org. But you could just Google Reds Museum and we're there. Maybe I'll have you back in uh, April sometime. We can talk about opening day and it's always a good time to talk baseball. And I... let's, let's do it. And then a side note is I'm always looking for good interns. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. So if you're, if you're a young person and, and you're looking for a good internship, can live in Cincinnati for a few months, we're always looking for good ones. Yeah. I will be sure to link to your website and social media pages and great American ballpark is a beautiful stadium and right on the river there in Cincinnati. So thank you again, Sherry, for um, your time today. And if I'm up in Cincinnati again, I'll be sure to uh, go to the Reds Hall of Fame and museum again myself. Make sure you look me up. If, if anybody has listened to this podcast and are coming to Cincinnati, just let me know, contact me. I'm the only Sherry at the Reds Hall of Fame. Come be my guest. I'd love yeah. to see you. And Andrew, I'd love to see you come back too. You have yeah. got to see the renovated museum. I mean, come I on. need to. Yeah. It's been several years now, so I need to get back up to yeah. Ohio. So thank you again for your time, Sherry. All right. Thank you. Stay in touch. When Sherry brought up Reds Hall of Famer, Tom Browning, I thought of my dad. He told me growing up that Tom Browning was one of the best baseball players he shared an April 28th birthday with. And fun fact, Hall of Famer and Reds icon Barry Larkin also has an April 28th birthday. Who knew? As Sherry talked about, Tom is most known for his perfect game, but he was one of the most consistent pitchers in baseball for a stretch in the late 80s and early 90s. Thomas Leo Browning was born on April 28, 1960 in Casper, Wyoming. He is one of only 16 American League or National League players all-time born in Wyoming. From Wyoming, Tom's family moved to New York, where he spent his childhood. Tom started his college baseball career at LeMoyne in Syracuse, but then he transferred to Tennessee Wesleyan in Athens, Tennessee. Tom was drafted by the Cincinnati Reds in the ninth round, of the 1982 MLB Draft. Moving quickly through the Reds minor league system, Tom had stops in Billings, Montana, Waterbury, Florida, Tampa, Florida, and Wichita, Kansas. In the minor leagues, he learned the screwball from a pitching coach. 
For those who don't know, the screwball is a rare pitch and breaks in the opposite direction as a curveball, towards the pitcher's arm side. Tom Browning made his Major League Baseball debut on September 9, 1984 against the Dodgers, but his true rookie season was 1985. In that season, he finished second in the National League Rookie of the Year voting with a 20-9 record and a 3.55 ERA in 38 starts. Throughout his career, Tom was one of the most consistent and durable pitchers in baseball. Over a seven-season span from 1985 to 1991, Tom averaged 36 starts per season, a mark unheard of in today's baseball. On a rainy September night in Riverfront Stadium in 1988, Tom threw the only perfect game in Reds history to date. Shutting down the eventual World Series champion Dodgers, Tom pitched nine innings with seven strikeouts and, of course, no hits and no walks or hit batters. It was the 12th perfect game in MLB history. In Game 3 of the 1990 World Series, Tom pitched six innings and got the win over the vaunted Oakland A's. The Reds completed the sweep the next night for their most recent World Series win. Tom's lone All-Star season was 1991, but he didn't pitch in the game. That year, he started off 10-5 with a 3.99 ERA, but finished the year 14-14 with a 4.18 ERA. 91 was the last full season Browning pitched. That's because he was plagued by injuries and ineffectiveness in the later years of his career, most notably breaking his arm while throwing a pitch in May 1994. He pitched two games the next season for the Royals in 1995 and then retired from baseball the following spring. In his retirement, Tom has been very active. He wrote a book about his playing days, and he's been a broadcaster and pitching coach. He was inducted into the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame in 2006. In total, Tom's record was 103 wins, 90 losses, and a 3.94 ERA. He finished with exactly 300 games started and 1,000 strikeouts, a quality big league career for one of the most consistent pitchers of his era. You can find the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame and Museum at Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, Ohio, or online at MLB.com slash Reds slash Hall of Fame. In the show notes, you can find links to the museum's website and social media pages, plus information on Tom Browning from the Hall of Fame and Baseball Reference. Thanks for listening to Episode 17 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum Podcast. I really appreciate it. Be sure to subscribe to Hallowed Ground on your podcast app of choice so you don't miss our next one. Also, leaving a five-star rating and review helps this podcast gain exposure on those various apps. Thanks in advance. I'll see you next time, sports fans.